Hello, my friends. Welcome to Deeper Than Dating, the best place for singles to uplevel their lives and take advantage of their single time. I'm your host, Sarah Mack, breakup and relationship coach, and I'm here to guide you to uplevel and upgrade your single life by building a deeper connection with yourself. I'm on a mission to help millennials take advantage of their single time so they can get over their past, stop settling in life, attract better relationships, and have fun while being single. On Deeper Than Dating, we will explore topics of self-development, psychology of love, relationships, and breakups, mindset, spirituality, and manifestation in order to deepen the relationship with ourselves, which is truly the secret to deeper dating. Whether you find yourself still trying to get over your ex, questioning all your relationship decisions, desiring a more fulfilling single life, or chasing your next relationship, this is the place to be. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey because the answer will be the same. Dig deeper into your connection with yourself in order to attract a better life and level up. It's not about dating. It's not about the breakup. It's not about your future. It's always deeper. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to Deeper Than Dating. Today, we are talking with Al Ramos, who is an integrative women's health coach and soon-to-be nutritional therapist. She focuses on the connection between mental and physical health, which we are going to dive into today. Al and I did the same life coaching certification program, so that's where we met, and we have continued to stay in touch and helped each other along our journeys. We're in very different realms, but as you'll find with anything in life, there's overlap everywhere. And so we're going to dive into that and she's going to tell us more about what, what she does and really how it can relate to you wherever you're at on your journey, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, we're going to cover it all. So we're going to talk about the healing journey. She's going to tell us about her long and windy healing journey and where mm-hmm. she is today. And um, especially inner child healing, which is kind of a buzzword that we probably hear a lot in the wellness industry today and doing the work while in relationship. So welcome, Al. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. So of course, let's start off. I want to know about your story and your journey and what your mission really is today. Yeah. So my healing journey definitely impacted the reasons that I got into the work that I am now. Um, Some of the pivots I have made, even from the time that you and I have gone to our, our, my first coaching program together um, and where I'm at now. So I guess to backtrack a little, um, it's nice to meet all of you listeners. Uh, my name is Ali. I go by Al. My friends call me Al. Sarah calls me Al. I am a, well, I like to identify as a recovering people pleaser, but there are parts of me that are still in that, in that right now. My mission with my company, with my business is really to help individuals that are suffering at both a mental and physical level. I work with women. Um, Most of them have some sort of autoimmune issue um, or they really struggle with something that I struggle with, which is endometriosis. And uh, how I came to approaching it uh, through the more holistic, functional, and integrative lens is definitely impacted by my own journey. I am, um, let's see, I'm 33. I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 17. And from there, I really, really struggled with chronic pain. I did everything that the doctors told me to do. I have had five surgeries. I was on every medication that you could think of. And in 2019, I hit the uh, proverbial rock bottom. I was working a really, really uh, high stress job. My pain had gotten to the point where Nothing I was doing was working. And the next step was being admitted to a pain management clinic at UC Davis, which is a big medical school in California. Um, 
the agreement that I had to make was that I would go back to therapy in conjunction with the pain clinic. Uh, I was totally fine with that. Um, and I say this now, um, this person is still my therapist to this day, but we took a little break. <laughs> um, I feel like the universe gifted me with this person because the type of therapy that he does is so different from um, a traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, like talk therapy approach. He does something called psychoneuroimmunology. So that's a big, big fancy word for he works on the relationship between the immune system, the endocrine system, so your hormones, and also the nervous system where a lot of repressed emotions and trauma are stored. And it's a newer um, studying area, I guess you would say. It, it hasn't been around that long. I think if I'm correct, it's from like the 50s. And when this was uh, introduced to me, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like to me, I was like, I have this condition. It hasn't been completely identified as an autoimmune disease yet, but it is as of now known as a chronic inflammatory disease. So it's very close to being considered an autoimmune because there's so many components of it that fall in that category. Um, and this is where I started really diving into something called parts work, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, inner child healing and working on what is known as dissociation, which is another big fancy word that I think the easiest way to understand it as be is as being so disconnected from self, like the true version of yourself. So I, I did that for, I think three years. And to be honest, my pain, my physical pain got so much worse <laughs> before it got better. And then, um, and towards the end of 2020, I started to notice that the more connected to self, I felt the less problems that I had with physical pain. And I, um, my background before I got into the work that I do now was veterinary medicine. So a very Western approach, right? If you are sick, you take this pill to fix this ill. And so in the beginning, this type of therapy and this type of work really didn't make sense to someone like myself. Um, now it's really, really funny because of the type of work I do now, but realizing that these symptoms that people are suffering with, whether it be endometriosis, whether it be PTSD, um, severe anxiety to, um, I know people that have done this work with MS, lupus, so all autoimmune related, these symptoms are manifestations. And if we can really get to what the root of the issue is, then we can see pain relief. And that is kind of what has led me to want to, you know, continue education. I have studied functional diagnostics. So the difference I would say between a functional approach and your standard Western approach in medicine is not that lab work is not done. It's done, but at a more extensive level. And we are not looking at your lab results in the range that is usually done one time per year within the United States and sent out to the labs to compare um, the analysis. We are looking at it as an optimal level. So to strive to really have optimal health. Um, and that to me is really what functional, functional lab testing and functional medicine is. The other component, which is uh, where I am right now, is um, using food as medicine and using food as medicine to help from the physical approach, but also the mental approach, right? There are foods that if you suffer from anxiety or PTSD that you really should avoid. And then on the flip side of that, there are foods that if you ate more of, would you see a reduction in your symptoms? So that's kind of like my story, how I have got to where I am, my goal and mission um, with my business and the individuals that I want to work with. So when did you see a tipping point of where you were doing all this work? You said your pain got worse. When did you start to see results like, oh shit, this is actually kind of working? Uh, to be honest, it was, I was in such a dark hole and I just remember being in that dark hole and I talked 
slightly about the amount of medications that I was on, but I was realizing that they weren't working and I was dealing with more consequences of those medications. So it was like, I had to take another medication to, uh, to counteract that medication. I think the tipping point was learning that like, we play a role in our suffering and whether that is mental or physical, uh, you have to learn to take ownership and it really sucks. Like there's, I don't even want to sugarcoat that, that it can suck a lot. And even with where I'm at now in my healing journey and going through possibly a new autoimmune diagnosis, it's, it's looking at like, what am I doing in my life right now that is not in alignment? And it's not, what do I need to do more of, but what do I need to do less of? So I think, you know, looking back probably to like 2020, 2021, when I started to see some pain relief, it was around the time that I started to do a lot less. Um, I realized that the job that I was working was costing me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Will Cole, but he's a huge functional medicine practitioner. And one of the things that he says all the time, which I feel like I could reiterate till I'm blue in the face is that boundaries are some of the best medicine and that's boundaries in a workplace boundaries in a relationship. And the big one is boundaries with self. Mm Mm-hmm. And learning boundaries as a recovering codependent people pleaser is super, super hard because you feel guilty. And these poke at some of our core wounds, um, especially people growing up in traumatic living situations. So I think it's going back to basics. Um, And one thing that I really took out of our first coaching program together was I did not have any boundaries. Didn't have boundaries with my friends. I didn't have boundaries. Uh, at work whatsoever. And I still struggle with that, even as my own boss, right? As an entrepreneur, um, you can still work too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's also having boundaries in an existing relationship, right? Like, how do you assert yourself in a kind manner and not a triggered manner? Because whatever is triggering you is something that you need to explore further. It's not the other person's fault. Mm-hmm. I'm having so many questions, but also my mind is blown at the work that you did with your therapist, because why is this a new thing? I don't understand when there's clearly a connection mm-hmm. with the physical pain, the mental, emotional trauma that we store in the body, our hormones. So, but of course there's such a battle with yeah, Western medicine and yeah, what do we really need to do to start healing ourselves? So well, what what to answer your first question? Like what why is question? this like why is this not your first question? Yeah. Like why don't essentially why don't people know about this? Is I, I kind of feel like you're like why is this new? Why is this yeah, why I, yeah, why is this not like why is everyone not doing this? So okay. So the first thing that really stands out to me is Traditional talk therapy does not work for a lot of people. Sure. Mm. If you want to go to your therapist and sit there and vent, and I have had this type of therapist before, right? Like every Thursday at 2 p.m., I would go talk to Sharon Osborne lookalike and I would tell her all about whatever happened that week and I move on, right? And was it great to be able to vent to this unbiased person? Absolutely. But was I actually doing the work? No, uh, there, there was no actual work there. Now... The type of therapy that I do now and that I was doing at the time is not traditional. And I don't honestly think that it is for every person. I think it is for the person really ready to sit there and realize that they have a role to play. Have you seen the documentary that uh, Jonah Hill did with his therapist recently? I need, I haven't finished it. Okay. If you have even started it, then you will understand that right off the bat, he is not a traditional therapist. And the relationship, I can talk about this without giving it away, but I highly recommend watching this documentary for anybody listening. The relationship that they have, that they have built, it stands out right away that it's trust, right? And how you go about doing that doesn't always have to be in a a talk therapy setting like he is still doing. But I even say this with my therapist and what I took away from watching that documentary is what I'm about to explain is he was seen at a level that somebody else was not providing for him in his life before. 
So, you know, he didn't go a lot about, um, go into deep about his healing journey and whatnot. But in my own experience, as somebody who grew up in a very traumatic childhood, one of my core wounds is not being seen and not being heard as a child. So when you sit down to talk to somebody about your childhood and, and not just like once, right, this is over 68 sessions, I think when I first started, uh, I was seen in a way that nobody had seen me before. And Mm -hmm. when we would work through really traumatic events that had happened, it wasn't even that we had come to a resolution, right? Like there's this idea that we have to fix ourselves. Um, I, I don't need to be fixed. I need to be seen. And when I was talking to him about certain things, I remember there were points where he, he would be in tears and it wasn't, It was like he was going through the journey with me. And that is so pivotal for people that are struggling, especially with trauma. Mm -hmm. What kind of work did you do that really took your healing journey to the next level? So I know we talked about inner child and parts work. So I want to hear more about what that is and what, yeah, what that looks like for someone. So I think the inner child healing is such a buzzword, right? Like Mm -hmm. we hear that talked about all the time. Um, And I think it's actually great. (laughs) I, I, there's no wrong way to heal, right? There is no wrong way to heal. So if you want to start with even understanding what inner child healing is, I, and I do recommend this with clients that I work with um, the holistic psychologist book, how to do the work does a phenomenal job in probably the most layman's terms. So like for an average person like ourselves, right. That are like, what does this even mean? She does a great job at explaining the different parts that we have. And the best way that I know to explain this is that we have a psyche, right? So whether you are religious or you are spiritual or whatever you want to, I don't, I don't know, whatever you want to insert there. This is like your soul, right? The psyche is like your soul. And that has to be a part of your healing. So I recently started doing something called IFS, which is part of internal family systems. Um, Richard Schwartz is the person that really, I guess, like segued this. Um, There's a book called No Bad Parts um, that he just released in like 2021. I would not recommend that book right off the bat. I think it is so extensive. I myself have not even finished reading it because... I could tell I was like, this, this book is so powerful. I'm just not there yet. Um, So where I'm at now is really understanding the different parts that we have. Uh, So the inner, the, the term inner child work, I think a lot of people are like, well, cool. We all have an inner child. Great. And we do, we all have an inner child, but there's even different parts of the inner child, right? There's different versions that live inside of us. And for some of us that are dealing with PTSD, CPTSD, complex PTSD, like myself, um, these parts can be super disconnected from one another. And in my experience, we have these different versions of ourselves. So not, not multiple personalities. And I think that when people hear that, they're like, okay, so we're all, you know, dealing with multiple personalities. No, we are all dealing with parts of the psyche. And some of us more than others are dissociated. Um, now the idea with parts work therapy is that if you can really give a voice to these parts, right? So maybe you have a toddler version of your inner child that was so traumatized that it needs to be heard and it needs to be seen. But I, I loved my therapist analogy with this. And I think it is so great that I'm going to use it. If a parent had a child, right, that came into therapy for whatever reason, and the therapist went straight to the inner child, how would it make the parent feel? Most likely dismissed, um, probably like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, wait, what are you doing with my child? Right? So that's the other thing is we have a part, right? We have protector parts, and they're there to do a job to protect us from harm, protect other parts. So in order to actually get to the inner child, which is the easiest way to explain the inner child is this is the most authentic, raw version of yourself. This is the part that you want to access and to nourish so that you can truly live in alignment with with yourself. You can't just go piss off your protector parts, though, right? So for me, one of my protector parts is a 16-year-old teenager who is very opinionated, 
Um, I haven't named her yet. I'm not there yet, but I can tell you when I get triggered specifically by my partner, it's usually her that is pissed off. And now the idea with this type of therapy is, can we get these parts to calm down? Can we identify what is triggering them? Because they also need to be heard, right? They also need a voice. And the idea with it is if we can give them all a voice, then they can learn to work with each other. And when you have dissociation with somebody who has an autoimmune disease that has chronic pain and you have a bunch of pissed off parts, your pain is going to be significantly worse. So what I noticed is back a few years ago is I finally got my parts to calm down. I've had a lot of life changes between now and then that I genuinely believe pissed off some parts. And now I'm here again in a very... hmm, Uh, a state of really trying to understand the next version of my healing journey. Um, I also have a perfectionist part. She's extremely critical and she is very activated right now because now I am dealing with a different type of chronic pain and it, and it needs to be addressed in a way that is gentle, which if you think of a critical person, they're not generally very gentle. Um, So that's where I'm at. And that is what I am working on. And I love the idea of inner child healing. I really, really do. But in my own experience, if you go straight to the inner child, you will just have these firefighter protective parts that also need a voice. And you can't get to the true version of you without settling them down first. So fascinating. Such a fascinating way of looking at the healing journey that I'm sure everyone can relate to of like, Oh, I've had those, the moments or the periods of time where I'm, I'm more agitated, irritable, because there's a part of us that is protecting us from something. Mm -hmm. So what, how do those come about? Like you, you mentioned the 16 year old girl that's protective Mm -hmm. because yeah, I, she's inside me as well. And she's (gasps) me. She's mean. (laughs) Yeah. We all have another mean girl. Yeah. So back to kind of reference the book, how to do the work. She talks about the ego, right? And if you're not familiar with ego work, I think so many times you will hear like, oh, that guy's so rude. He has such a big ego. We all have egos. The ego is the part of us that is supposed to protect us. If we didn't Mm -hmm. have an ego, we would have nothing to protect us, right? And then you have a shadow side. We all have a shadow side. And we, I'm not sure if you've heard people talk about shadow work or what that looks like. But generally speaking, in my experience, we don't love this version of ourselves. This is actually the version that like most people don't like. And for the longest time, if you are a people pleaser or you are a fixer innately, like I am, you, you just want to be normal. You just want to fix that part. And like, that's not the idea of part work. We, I think the idea of part work, parts work, sorry, is to learn to integrate them together. Like you're not getting rid of your shadow side. We all have one. You're not getting rid of your ego, but how do you work with yourself? How do you work with somebody so that you're not suppressing them? You are integrating them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, that's where I am currently at is really understanding this shadow side to me who can be super reactionary. Um, I super critical of self, um, agitated, very jumpy, right? Like I made a Instagram reel a couple of weeks ago about how I make my husband announce himself before he comes into a room. And it sounds funny, but for somebody dealing with this type of dissociation, like the nervous system is so far out of whack that, yeah, like if somebody walks into a room and I, you know, if this door opens behind me and I, I can't see it or I have headphones on, I will jump like almost to where it feels like you're, you know, you're jumping out of your skin. And that is a classic sign that your nervous system is screaming for help. So while it's funny, and I use a lot of sarcasm in my own healing, like there's truth to sarcasm. Yeah. So how is it related to the nervous system? So the nervous system and the way that I kind of mentioned before that hormones and and, um, the autoimmune system, right? Like they all work together. I think Western medicine is starting to see that like the systems in our bodies are not separated. And I hope that it gets more advanced, right? Like everything is happening for a reason. 
you are in chronic pain because you're firing at all ends, right? So if you can lower the inflammation and work on nervous system work, theoretically, you can get yourself out of that fight, flight, or freeze feeling. Um, There's different ways to do nervous system work. My favorite way is cold plunging. Um, This activates the vagus nerve. Um, It is not for everyone. (laughs) I would not tell everyone to just go jump in a freezer like I do sometimes. Um, But it, it could be as simple as... 30 seconds a day when you take a shower, like once you finish your shower, whatever temperature you do that at, turn your shower to the coldest it could possibly go and stand in it for 30 seconds and, and focus on your breath. Uh, Wim Hof does a great version of this on YouTube, like how to actually do this in your shower so that you can activate the vagus nerve, right? So you can activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And the more that you can do this, the less reactionary that you become, right? Mm -hmm. So this could also be done in a very simple way, like singing, right? The, that uh, activates the vagus nerve as well. Um, breath work. My, it, I guess my, my point to all of this is taking whatever you want to do and taking at least 10 minutes a day to a practice that requires you are doing nothing else but being mindful of those 10 minutes. Um, so when I work with clients, I let them decide like, what can you do for 10 minutes where all that you can do is sit with yourself? And it's not, you know, even with meditation, right? It's not changing the thought, right? It's not like, oh, wait, I have to stop thinking again. It's literally letting the thoughts come and letting them pass and letting them come and letting them pass. And the longer that you do this type of practice, the less thoughts that you have in those 10 minutes. Um, I do it sometimes with washa. Like right now, uh, working with my nervous system, 10 minutes before I go to bed, I, you know, really work on my lymphatic system, which is a huge part of drainage for people with chronic illness. But for me, it's also about those 10 minutes that I am, you know, very actively staring in a mirror and following a pattern on my face and using a gua sha stone. It's more for me about the mindfulness versus the actual benefits of uh, the gua sha. Yeah, I think this is something I've been wanting to learn more about myself. So like the cold plunges. I think it's really, it's beneficial to know like, oh, directly. Okay. If I do this, then I'm going to feel this way. And it's because it's so mental of like jumping into cold water. But for me, I'm like, if I know the benefits, um, that's what gets me through it. So what would be some direct benefits that people would feel from doing these practices? So I think overall, right. Anyone that's living in this state and the U.S. is just like a poster child for people walking around with dysregulated nervous systems because we try to biohack our days, right? Like we are like, let's say you have to carpool or let's say you take a some sort of like city transportation, which I know in California isn't that great, but you know, maybe you have an hour ride to work. You're like, wow, what can I do with that hour? I could do this amount of work. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this, right? Because We are continuously looking to maximize our time. My thing would be, what can you do less of, right? Like, what are you willing to do less of? And I think the reason people don't want to do less is because it requires you to sit in your shit. And I remember realizing that, that I was like, the less that I do, the more time that I have to sit in thoughts. And I hated that. Like I hated that more than anything, but that is one of the biggest benefits that this type of work provides is you're not trying to change your feelings or your thoughts. You're just acknowledging them and letting them enter the room, which I think a lot of people are like, cool, okay, they're in the room, but there's, that's huge, right? Because the more that you suppress emotions, the worse that they become. So if you just allowed them to to take up space and closed a few tabs, as my uh, therapist once told me, like, you would see a lot of benefit. I think, like you were saying about cold plunging, if you know the benefits, you'll put yourself through it. For me, it's a bit of mind over matter, right? Like, I think we think, and I hear people tell me this all the time, oh, I can never do cold water. I hate cold water. I hate cold water. Well, obviously, (laughs) like, it's not like the most fun thing to do. But you get better at it right as time goes by I just did my first nine minute cold plunge and I nine minutes nine minutes and I was like I used to struggle with 30 seconds in the shower um so I think it almost it's almost like your body craves that level of uh attention 
if, if you're willing to give it that we all need it. It's so invigorating too. It, and it, and it, it's not, yeah, it's not about the cold punch. It's the representation that we can overcome the hard shit. I watched Joe Rogan do a cold plunge. He does it every morning. And he was like, yes. this is how I overcome my inner bitch. It's like, okay, yeah. I like that. I like the, like, I'm, you know, you putting the inner bitch in her place. Like, she's going to tell me I can't do this, but I can. That's helps me get through it. For me, I would say I am a generally very anxious person. I can worry about something five times over, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when somebody says, don't worry, I'm like, you're five minutes too late to that because I've already worried about it in six different ways. So it doesn't matter. These types of (laughs) like these types of practices, like actually help me sit and just like only focus on that. That's all that I can focus on when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who is a very anxious person, you are worrying and like thinking about so many different things. Like being forced to only think of one is so soothing to the nervous system I don't even think people realize it Mm -hmm. yeah the brain can be so exhausting um I yeah I've been experiencing that a lot within the past couple months and so that's why I think I've increased these practices just anything to shut down the the monkey mind um of overthinking and I I'm like I'm I relate to you so much with the anxiety um I'll vent to my mom and she just doesn't get it she doesn't get my overactive mind mm-hmm. I'm like why how is everyone not like this mm-hmm. this over overthinking it's like yeah it's a you have to get ahead of it I um, find it very common in people who are perfectionists yeah that's fun fun <laughs> stuff so what how doing this work because you're married mm-hmm. and a lot of the listeners might are probably not probably single how has this affected that your healing journey has it had an effect on your relationship absolutely yes mm-hmm. um i think due to the nature of like my upbringing the amount of things that have happened to me i you know and being a very anxious person you live a lot in your head right and like i think to some people that comes off as like you're very aloof or you're very like you're quiet right i'm like oh my God, if you could just like open a window inside my brain, you would be like, wow, turn that down. But having a partner that didn't experience that, right? Like he grew up in a family with a mom and a dad. And I, my dad died by the time that I was 17. Um, I grew up with addiction in my family and he did not, right? So all of these things that affect behavioral traits, right? So basically why I am the way that I am, I didn't really see And I think inherently that has made some things about me very selfish. Um, And by no means like in a, uh, a way that you know that you're doing it, I guess is how I would describe it. Um, There have been times where like basic needs, basic needs in a relationship that each person has, like I haven't met, right? Like I, I forgot how to, to ask how his day was, even though we both work from home or, you know, like how's work going, even though I can sometimes hear how work is going, right? Like those things that a person needs, um, I'm not perfect at, absolutely. And that is something that was really hard for me because I am a perfectionist and and thinking about being an imperfect partner is really shitty. Um, and I could sit there and I could wallow in that. And, you know, we've been together for 10 years now and three of which, you know, we got married during COVID. <laughs> so there is a lot of things that have insulted the relationship, I would say. And there are times where like, you know, I mentioned worrying about if you don't grow to gr- grow together, you grow apart. And I do think that is true, but I don't think you have to grow at the same speed. There were times where he hadn't even started, you know, just because he had a quote unquote perfect upbringing, like he still has stuff that he works through. And when I started really, really working on things, I was like, wait, well, what about you? Like, when are you going to work on things? And like, that's not fair either. Like you aren't here to be a, be better than the other partner is what I'm trying to say. And then like, as of recently with all of my own health stuff going on and, you know, we've lived in three different countries in the last, like, I think two years, um, that rattles a person like me. And I have had to realize like, Hey, he's actually a little bit ahead of me now, right? Like he is not 
where he once was. And now it's my turn to really focus on how I can be a better partner. Um, And even if it's as simple as like literally remembering to ask, and I know that sounds horrible, but it needs to happen. I think it requires a lot of conversations. We have done uh, therapy together. And I remember when we decided to go to therapy, it wasn't because we were in a place like a bad place. Actually, it was we had things that were happening that insulted the relationship, right? So we had external things happening. And what I have come to realize about long-term relationships is that there's always going to be things insulting your relationships, right? And the way that our therapist put this for us, I literally couldn't think of a better way to say it, is there is the relationship that he has with himself, the relationship he has with me, and the relationship he has to the relationship, right? So the relationship is almost like, I think of it as like this little ball. And it is your guys' jobs, both individually and together, to do everything that you can to protect the relationship. Knowing that life happens and stress happens. I am not great with chronic stress. (laughs) Um, No new news there. But yeah, it's like looking at things. And I think it requires a lot of conversations. There's been a lot of times where you were like, is this going to work? Like, is this fair to one another? and hard conversations have to happen all the time. I am by no means a relationship expert whatsoever. I can only say that what I know that we continue to do is have the shitty conversations, even when it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And fighting yeah, fair. That's the other thing. It's like, I think, you know, social media makes us think that people don't fight. I would almost argue that if you don't fight, then the spark isn't there anymore. Like you're not fighting for anything. I don't mean fighting in a a way that, you know, attacks character. That was something that we had to, to learn too, right? Like saying things like you're an asshole or you're being an asshole. Like, okay, so now I'm attacking his character versus like, hey, that really hurt my feelings uh, mm-hmm. and taking ownership of why it hurt my feelings. There's also something like we talked about earlier being triggered, right? Like I, it is not his fault that he triggers me. It is not my fault that I trigger him. It is not fair to trigger one another, especially if you know. And I think after being in a long-term relationship, I easily know how I could trigger him. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But when I get triggered, it happened the other day. I was late. I was late. And I didn't say, like, you know, we share we share a, a electric scooter. <laughs> and I he needed the scooter. And I should have said, hey, I'm going to be late. Can you move? Like, can you push it back a little? And instead I freaked out because being late causes me so much anxiety. So by by the time I had already come home, I was already in a triggered state. That was my own state. And then I lashed out at him because he was upset that I was late, even though being late was my own fault. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's recognizing things like that. Are you going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But even if it was like, you recognize the trigger five hours later, versus never recognizing it at all. I think that deserves credit. Yeah. You're not going to be perfect. No one's going to be perfect in a relationship. It's about having the awareness of your own triggers, your own shit and taking responsibility where you can. And of course, working together. I love the analogy of creating the relationship. It's is its separate entity. It's not you. It's not the other person. You are creating a third thing together. And there's always going to be things trying to attack that, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's kind of like how life works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you've like, it's been a hell of a past few years. Yeah. You, you guys have been going through a lot and even just starting a business mm-hmm. like that in it of itself. Yeah. Whatever so much. you have not figured out about yourself, being an entrepreneur will figure out for you. It'll bring up all of your stuff. So much insecurities and yeah, yeah. I think, like I said, I am absolutely not a relationship expert whatsoever, but I can say there have been so many things that I have learned about being in a long-term relationship. And maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but loving somebody is not enough to make a relationship last. No, And no, no, no. There ha- and I think that we are made to believe that it is right like love is going to get us through love is going to be enough love is you know and I can just tell you with what I have experienced like sometimes other things have to 
be a part of that relationship to make those really hard parts work. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, don't really know what love, like the act of love actually is. And so they're thinking that the lust is enough and that's what's, what our society that's, I think that's where that comes from in our society. It's like, we're so swept up by lust and the feelings and the chemicals and the dopamine and blah, 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 that that's going to last forever. I think love would be enough if you were two monks, you know, mm-hmm. practicing love sitting in their, in a cave all day when that's just not how our society is built. So that's where there so much other stuff has to come into play. I think most importantly is picking a life partner, right? Like I think of all of the things, all the places that we have traveled. That's the other thing, man, if you want to know if the person is your person, go travel around the world with them and Mm. come back to me. Um, I have been sick in foreign hospitals. I have quite literally shit myself in front of him and a very early stages of a relationship. He tells that story. Wait, how did that happen? <laughs> I was oh really, God. really sick. I had typhoid and I didn't know it. And it was very, it was the first time I ever left the US. I was in Peru in a hostel, like a six bed hostel. And I was so sick. And, you know, before you know it, there you are just shitting yourself in front of the whole hostel room, him included. And like, this was maybe like two years. Like I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Like I actually could have gone my whole relationship. No no one's ready for that. Oh my God. Did you eat something bad? Yeah. So typhoid is fecal oral transmission. I have zero idea how I got it. Um, (sighs) He didn't get it. We ate all the same foods. Um, But also in hindsight, knowing what I know now, right? Like gut health plays such a huge part of your immune system. And mine has always been terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I mean, and I would get sick when we would travel. Like I've had dengue before. Yeah. He's never had dengue, right? Like all of these things. Yeah. Um. You know, even just traveling to the extent that we were traveling, right? We did a whole year of travel in a backpack. And like, awesome. I learned so much about myself that year and just things that I didn't like about myself, right? So the real shadow side of me comes mm. out when I am um, traveling, I think. And, and like to that extent. Um, just, you know, really hard things. That's how I got into actually like the mental health space. And I was like a travel blogger and I would write about these things that I was learning about myself, but also learning about mental health along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, if you are like, I'm not sure if this is my person forever, go take a trip in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you will find out. (laughs) Yes. Such a good point. And Also, if you aren't in a relationship and you're single and you want to get to know yourself better, go on a solo trip. Absolutely. I am, or if you're coming out of a relationship, I have a few people close to me that are either going through divorce or separating like really long term relationships. And I gave one of my friends a piece of advice. I was like, dude, if you have the money and you can, you know, take the time from work, um, I'm telling you solo travel and I have solo traveled even in a relationship, like while I was married. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it empowers you in a way as a single person or even like as a female traveling by themselves. I planned my whole 30th birthday trip to Spain with somebody that didn't really contribute a ton, I will say. Mm-hmm. And granted, I do speak Spanish. So I had that going for me. But like, I was still planning everything And Spain. Spanish is very different than the Spanish that I speak. And I was so empowered by the end of that trip, like, I can do anything. And yeah. I yeah. think even, you know, talking to my friends that are in their 30s going through, you know, breaking up with like long, long term partners, I'm like, you just need that boost of like, female empowerment. Yeah. Yes. And and even male, actually, like I, th- I find a lot of males haven't traveled either. Right. And like, just it will suck from time to time. Nothing will go as planned. But like, look what you will be able to do and what you will come out with if you just go try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I moved, I lived in Prague for a year. The first three months I was crying so much because I was also going through a breakup. But the homesickness is real. But on the other side of that, I felt like I had an awakening where I was like, just so more present than I'd ever been of, oh, okay, I can be anywhere in the world and be okay with myself. 
and enjoy my own company. And I was had to really practice the the presence, the mindfulness, because I was very sad for the first three months, but also like pinching myself, like you're in Europe, be happy, but it's not always that easy. So there is the whole emotional journey along with traveling. Yeah. I think one of the quotes that sticks out to me that I was told by my therapist early on, he used to be like this, like Buddha guru. Um, he said to me, you know, Ali, wherever you go, there you are. And mm-hmm. I can even speak to that now, right? I don't live in the U S I live in what people vacation to. And I still find myself struggling at times. And I find that I very quickly get triggered and want to blame Costa Rica or cultural differences or language barriers. When in reality, the trigger usually actually has nothing to do with the teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you, once you see the trigger and follow it back, you can actually find that it didn't have anything to do with that. So Mm -hmm. when I get really triggered, my first reaction is like, fuck this place I'm leaving. I want to move back to California. Then I like, come back to reality and I'm like oh my god I got triggered by this thing that actually had nothing to do with geographically where I am yes yeah so true now I want to go travel I'm getting the itch so bad (laughs) um I I need to come visit you come on come down especially since you're sitting here in a sweater and I'm like sweating yeah I don't even think you've said where you are I am, I live on the very south side of the Caribbean, so very close to the Panama border in Costa Rica. Um, it is not as troubled as the Pacific side, right? So like where you see people going all the time, but it's getting busier. And I think within the next five, maybe less than that, it will also be as traveled. Mm-hmm. You're ahead of the game. Uh, a little, <laughs> but it, it has its challenges. The jungle, the jungle has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one last question. Yes. If the universe came to you and said, Al, what is the one thing that you want to leave with the world that you think could really change the world? <laughs> That's a weird way of wording it, but you know what uh, I mean? It's actually funny that you're bringing this up because I've gone through such a, like recently, I don't want to call it identity challenge because it's not even that, but you know, when you're an entrepreneur and your business is online and your content is online and, you know, you're the face of the business as well, right? You feel compelled to be like one way. And I was, I was doing that, right? I was doing that. And it, you know, you and I have talked about this. It didn't feel like me. Like if you sit down and have a conversation with me versus just looking at my content on Instagram, I was like, there's a disconnect and it's bothering me. And recently I have just basically been like, fuck it. Like I am just going to show up, especially going through what my like future clients are going through, right? Like I am in that right now. And Mm -hmm. I struggled to talk about this because I was, you know, the, the critic in me was like, well, if you're sick again and right. And like in a different manner, because it's very different than my endo pain. Um, well then why would anybody want to work with you? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. And I even said that I said that in therapy and my therapist looked at me and he was like, so doctors don't need doctors and therapists don't need therapists. And I was like, oh, see what you did there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I realized that the compliments that people have said to me all stem back to when I really just show up as myself. And I think that if I could leave anything, like if I die tomorrow and people are like, what do you want to be known for? I just want to be known for transparency and vulnerability because Mm -hmm even as a soon-to-be practitioner, all I would want for my clients to feel is safe, right? All I would want entering into a room, right, as somebody being sick is to feel safe. Um, And more recently, I've just been, you know, I am so quirky. Like, if you really meet me in person, like, literally, like, I'm so clumsy. Like, the stupidest shit happens to me sometimes. I'm like, I don't even know how that happened. Uh, And I found that like, instead of being stale and just being myself, everything started to feel better. Like I I wasn't so worried anymore. And when I do talk to people, they're like, you know, I really like when you write like longer form captions or, you know, when you're just really honest about things like, and I think that that is what I would want to be known for is just being transparent and honest and human. I love it. I've been nodding my head so hard because I agree. There's so much imposter syndrome that comes up with putting your face out there, teaching what you, your truth is. 
And then being tested over and over and over again with that truth. Is this really your truth? Are you going to stay strong in it? And of course, we're constant, we're humans, we're constantly evolving and changing. So we have to find our own path. It's not like we learn this stuff and then we're just fixed and healed forever. It's like, we're going to be going through this our entire lives. Yeah. Like I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but like if you're going into a healing journey, thinking you're going to fix yourself, like you're going at it about all wrong. I hate when people say this in the mental health space too. It's like, you are not broken. You do not need to be fixed. If anything, you need to be heard and you need to be seen. And the most powerful person that can do that is yourself. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So where can the listeners find you and connect with you and anything that you have that you want to share? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm newer to the TikTok game, (laughs) but, um, I'm better with Instagram. My handle is that endo gal. Um, even though I don't only just post about endometriosis, but that's kind of like how I got started in it. And, um, yeah, I have a website, uh, aliramos.co. Um, which is also linked on my Instagram, but I would say that's the, the place I have a lot of resources, um, from, you know, using food to heal to, I, I really practice through a teaching approach. Um, I don't ever want someone to feel shoulded, like you should be doing this. And I, Mm -hmm. the, the world needs less of that, especially from health practitioners. So mm-hmm. my approach is very much an education lens. I definitely believe that if we give people the information, whatever it might be, you know, like supporting people's relationships, like you talk about, and not just relationships like romantic, but like relationship with self, right? Uh, to hormone information, like I talk about to inner child work, like all of that, if more people had the resources and had the education, how much more healed would our society be? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. I learned a lot. I am so happy that you came to share all of your knowledge and your journey because it is so needed. And I hope even just one person listens and takes something away of feeling empowered to start their journey, whatever, wherever that is. And knowing that, I think just knowing you're not alone, like it can, it's the lonely, it can feel like the loneliest. So lonely road. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I always want to leave people with is you're not alone because I know the feeling of being alone at night in your bed, thinking about these types of things or going through your own process and just feeling like there's no one else going through this. Yes. Even the professionals go through it. We all go through it. And anyone that wants to do differently is lying to you. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. If any, if even just one person took anything away is that it doesn't matter how educated you are, whether this is your profession or not, you know, the experts, quote unquote, are still in the thick of it. And Mm -hmm. if anything, I just want people to know that. Mm -hmm. Same. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's the end of our episode. Um, I will leave Al's links in the show notes so that you can find her and connect with her. Definitely follow her on Instagram. It's um really great i noticed it's a wild ride (laughs) like i feel like you've just got a ton of followers recently (laughs) i mean not really but uh Uh, definitely just showing up so yeah okay well we will talk next week bye everyone